Joining us in the break room today on Chewing the Fat is Alexis Wachowski, the author of The Information Trade, How Big Tech Conquers Countries, Challenges Our Rights, and Transforms Our World. And for those of you that have listened to this podcast for any time, you know that this is something that some of this just drives me insane. And first of all, Alexis, welcome to Chewing the Fat. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you so much. So, uh, some fascinating stuff in in the book. And before I get to some of the thoughts and that I have uh, to question you specifically on, I kind of wanted to go through. You've got eight chapters in the book, and the last one I really kind of want to delve into separately. But the first seven, I kind of want to give you a, a. I'll just call it first thought, and I'll give you the title of the chapter, and you give me your first thought from uh, each chapter. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, rise of the citizen user. First thought. How people transform from being audiences to individual users of technology. Net states, IRL, chapter two. How tech companies are transforming from providing digital services to interjecting themselves into our physical landscape. Chapter three, privacy allies and, and adversaries. How we are losing our sense of privacy as we've known it, as we contribute more of our data online. And I will, oh man, I want to get into a little bit of that too. Chapter four, information age war fighters. The way that tech companies are opening defense and counterterrorism units to fight alongside or even in front of our military. Right, and I want to get into that too. Holy cow. Uh, chapter five, the great, a great wall of watchers. This is how the Chinese are setting up what's called a social credit system, using uh, user behavior online to uh, approve or disapprove activities in real life. And I feel, <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll stop, because all of these are just something I would love to delve into. We may be here all day, Alexis. I'm just, okay. <laughs> uh, chapter <laughs> six, good. the all-knowing internet of things. The way that technology is starting to insert itself into our landscape in terms of sensors and other uh, technologies that are in the background that we might not necessarily see. And chapter seven, the mind immersed. How all of these technologies affect the way that we think and pay attention or more appropriately are unable to pay attention like we used to. And chapter eight, of course, I, and this is another one that I, I opened up with. I want to delve into a declaration of citizen user rights. We'll get into that for sure. Um, let's let's just start with uh, for me, net states and what you think of. Uh, you know, what first of all, what are net states? Sure, net states are the major tech companies that have evolved beyond their core product services and are doing things that countries used to do solely, like defense, diplomacy, public infrastructure, citizen services. I'm talking about companies like Microsoft and Apple and Amazon, Facebook, and even Tesla and all of its related activities. Um, They're no longer just collecting user profiles and doing search engine stuff. They are engaging in things that used to be the sole provenance of countries. Now, some of these co- companies, you know, are, uh, you know, they're, when you say outside their core business, I mean, all these companies have um, purchased 
smaller companies or you know just soak them into what they're doing whether they were going to use the product or decide that hey you know what that's pretty good but we don't want them trying to try to get into any of our business so we'll just buy it and be done with it um i mean that's not even a part of that right i mean that's just that's not even close to their core not even close so i mean think about this one way to think about this is to compare it to other major transnational companies like McDonald's or Coca-Cola. Can you imagine McDonald's or Coca-Cola having a counterterrorism team? <laughs> but Facebook has a counterterrorism team. They have a 300-person counterterrorism team, which is larger than the State Department's counterterrorism team. And it's not even considered that strange. Yeah, no, not in today's world it's not, right? I mean, our, our net states are these companies that are, I mean, they're really ahead of most governments on a lot of things. And I don't know that I blame them, but it's pretty it's pretty hard to wrap your head around. I'll tell you that. Yeah, it's um, a new world. Yeah, it sure is. Now, when you talk about, uh, and I just take, these are some of the notes that I took as I was reading the book. Net states was actually the top of the list. Uh, next was war. I mean, how is this going to? You know, what what war are we talking about? Are we talking about internet wars? Or are we talking about you know war globally between countries and and or net states? Well, the nature of warfare has changed. You know, we are not, even though we are still fighting uh, physical wars in other countries where we deploy troops, there's also more and more happening online with cyber attacks, with information warfare. And so the nature of conflict is changing both between countries and between non-state actors and countries. So one of the things that these companies who operate in digital spaces have to do is figure out how do they protect not only the, their core business, but the users that are on their platforms. Um, they don't necessarily want to expose people who are trying to connect with friends to ISIS recruiting videos. Right. So it's in their best interest to make sure they clean up that environment. So, I mean, we had we had reports even today of, uh, you know, Chinese companies breaking into, uh, you know, our, our websites. I saw some numbers. I don't know. I've missed the page. But uh, you talked about um, uh, attacks uh, coming into the United States just within the last couple of years. The FBI says there's thousands a day, right? Is that, do I remember that right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's something that... I think is beyond the scope of anything that we have seen in, the, in previous years because it's, you know, with physical attacks, there's only so much you can do because you have limited resources. But with digital attacks, you can amplify your, your offense exponentially because you can have one person uh, sort of on the front of a dozen or hundreds of attacks. And so we're starting to see one of the most troubling things is attacks on city agencies, on law enforcement, um, not just on private businesses. So we're talking to Alexis uh, Wachowski, and uh, she is the author of uh, The Information Trade. And uh, it's a, well, it's kind of a scary read, too. Uh, Alexis, I know you're the, what, Associate Commissioner for Communications at the Department of Veteran Services, Professor of Technology, Media, and Communications at Columbia University. Uh, You know, you're doing nothing with your life. So I just thought I figured I'd talk to you about your book a little bit. Um, the next thing that you taught that fascinated me that I wrote down in my notes as I was going through is tech ambassadors. Um, I love this. I, I, I truly do. I think that that's something that probably needs to happen more. Right now we have how many actual tech ambassadors in the world? So there are four that we're aware of. There's okay. Denmark, 
Uh, they were the first, Australia, right? And Denmark was the first. Right. That's right. Okay. It was Catholic Kling. Um, uh, Estonia, uh, Australia, and France. We don't even have so one here in the U.S. We do, we do not have one in the U.S. So we really Incredible. need one. Incredible yeah. that we don't have one. So what is you know a tech ambassador? So they are, in the same way that an ambassador from a nation to a country is deployed to that country to manage foreign affairs, uh, be sort of a representation of that country in another space. A tech ambassador goes to Silicon Valley, goes to other places where the tech sector is really active and tries to interact with these big tech companies to work together. So, for instance, uh, in my interview with the tech ambassador from Denmark, he said that he spent a lot of his time in Silicon Valley trying to have meetings with Facebook and Microsoft and Amazon and Apple and all those guys. How did that go? Uh, so he said it was a mixed bag. Uh, <laughs> some of the companies, I'm not even kidding. He said some of the companies would send their CEO, which is appropriate for someone like an ambassador. He said some of the companies would send the equivalent of an intern. Wow. I mean, that's how much they care. We don't really care about you. That's Yeah, it sends quite a message. Yes, it does. It's incredible. So do you feel like uh, tech ambassadors are going to be actually something that uh, is used and we're going to see more of in the future? Or is it something that, I, ah, they're only meeting with interns, let them go? No, I think we're absolutely going to see more tech ambassadors from nation states. But what's also interesting is that that same guy, Casper Kling, just got hired by Microsoft to open an office at the UN, to be an ambassador to the UN for Microsoft. Okay. Microsoft is now opening a representation office just like countries open offices at the UN. I mean, so it's going to go both ways. I mean, that's your net states right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that it's high time that the U.S. Uh, adopted this kind of ambassador itself. All these, not all of these companies, but most of them are based here. And yeah. I think it would be really helpful. Are you in touch with anyone that uh, in our in our government that uh, uh, you know you've said, "Hey, what are we doing? Why don't we do this?" So I have talked with a number of different government officials. Uh, for the most part, the idea is that they're not quite on board yet with the idea that that tech companies are something different than just big big companies. And this is something that I'm arguing in the book needs to change. We need to change the way we think about them. Yeah. They're not just like a big bank or a big retail store. They're in all these different sectors that have a lot of different uh, inroads in our lives and in infrastructure that used to be owned by the public. And I think that government needs to approach them very differently than they've approached traditional companies. So that brings me to my next uh, note uh, as I was going through the book. Um, privacy uh mm -hmm. the and, and i wrote in, in my notes i wrote privacy new definition i mean we really kind of do have a new definition of privacy right we we feel i, I using myself as an example i mean i kind of feel like you know yeah i just want to take the picture yeah i click on the terms of service and we'll get to the terms of service which i find fascinating yeah. i mean there's some great stats in here about those about the terms of service but uh you know as far as privacy goes i i know i know i just don't share my information whatever i just want to take the picture okay fine mm -hmm. i just want to take it i just want to be able to i want to be able to share the picture i took okay fine i mean we have a it, it, the privacy is a whole new thing now really because it's it's not so much 
we care about privacy i mean we do but we don't i, I don't know that's that's a, I, it's a long way to get to it so there's a new definition of privacy isn't there yeah, absolutely. And I think you're, the way that you feel about it is the way most of us feel about it, is that we want to use the tools. We invited them into our lives because they do something for us. Right. We to share things with our friends and right. our family and other people. But at the same time, it kind of irks us that we don't feel like the information is being stored in a private fashion. But at the same time, it's out of sight. It's kind of out of mind unless we hear headlines about it. So it's, it's really easy to forget that it's happening. Now, that brings me to, uh, you know, let's, uh, in the terms of service here, I mean, it was fascinating to me that, uh, and, and, I, and I, I don't think people realize, okay, so uh, you have the terms of service for what, for let's say uh, Samsung. You know, I, I have a, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Samsung user, so I have my terms of service for Samsung. But everything else that I use inside of Samsung has their own terms of service. That's right. So, That's I mean, right. where, when do we, do we use the tech ambassadors to lose some of that and make it all just kind of one thing? Or, or what, 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 what do you feel is the plan for that? So this is where I think that we have to differentiate between terms of service, which are really not for us. They're to protect companies. They're sort of their, you know, make sure that they're all covered legally so that they can do what they're going to do. Um, that's the kind of contract that terms of service are. I think we need some sort of other kind of understanding that we engage with as citizens, with the tech companies that help protect our rights. Um, because, as you said, it's not just the terms of service of the device you're using. It's every other app and company that uh, is yeah. present on that device. And then all the companies that they're partnering with and sharing data with that we may not even know about. Well, I find it, you know, I found it fascinating. And it may have been, it may have been your book or another one I was reading that uh, talks about if I, you know, I may say no to a company sharing my information uh, outside of them, but when I use another app in conjunction with them and I have their app open, then that information can be shared because it's all just fluid throughout both both apps at the time, right? So, right, I, and not just the apps, but the ISP, the Internet Service Provider, acts like this kind of net that takes it not only captures the data that goes through it, it's allowed to sell it. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Okay, so when do I get, I know you went into the Declaration of Citizen User Rights, and uh, we can talk a little bit about those, but when do I get to own me? When do I get to own me? I want to, uh, you know, I, I, I want to say yes and no to what I do. And yeah. I mean, that's never going to happen, is it? I mean, I mean, really, that's we're way beyond that. But I mean, I really want to just say, look, I own me. And, and you, you, you ask if you want to use me. So this is the thing in the in Europe where they have the GDPR, the data protection rules, they treat people as data subjects. The way it works there is that the person and their data are all one unit. But here in the States, data is treated as it's like some separate entity from the person that it came from, like with HIPAA laws and um, personal, personally identifying information laws. 
the data is not really attached to the person. So I could call my doctor and say, please transfer my medical data to this other hospital. And they can't do it because of the HIPAA law, because it's like it's no longer attached to me. I don't have control over it. So I think we're past the point where we're going to be able to own ourselves and our data in the current structures that we have. I think we need some sort of massive change. Okay, so your your, uh, declaration of citizen user rights are... What if 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 the tech ambassador said, Alexis, we're leaving it up to you. It's up to you. You write it down, and we'll we'll do what you do. What would you have us do? So the well, the first thing I would make sure that we do is that we have some sort of uh, enforcement body where we have not only rights, but that we can enforce our rights somewhere. Um, so this, for instance, I'm not suggesting that um, we create another. UN, um, but I'm saying, wouldn't it be better if we had some sort of entity where our rights could be established and then enforced if they weren't taken seriously? So that's number one, is there needs to be some enforcement. Now, some, um, uh, so, now, the argument there here in the States would be, I mean, you have the court of law, right? I mean, that's, we have, we have, we have the, we have the, you know, we have the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and we have the laws right, that we ex- can follow us. But, exactly. So, and I know that the, I know, right. I know there's a big butt there. I get it because, you know, we have uh, you know our social media companies want it both ways. They want to be able to say we're uh, we're not a platform. We just provide you know people can do what they want. But on the other hand, they want to be able to edit what we what we say too. That's a it's not supposed to be that way. Yeah, I, I honestly think that the companies are in a real bind here because on the one hand, they don't want to take responsibility for the content that's on their platforms. But on the other hand, they don't want to have it polluted either <laughs> right. with a lot of stuff I that's know. really negative. But so oh well. It's, it's, it's really <laughs> that's, that's me. I know that's me talking. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. I hear you. I hear you. I think it's a really tough place to be. But I think that one of the things that we need to think about in this uh, kind of new paradigm we're in is that we should be able to be me with our data. We should yeah. be able to own our data and and decide if, if somebody wants to use that data, what it's worth to us. So, um, and then I see you have, how many how many uh, citizen rights do you have? Three, three four, is that right? Just, just a few. And I, the idea behind this was that this would be sort of a starting point, the, that there should be some fundamental basics that everybody should be permitted uh, when it comes to their data and their rights and that it doesn't need to be complicated. We don't need like another 50 page terms of service for citizens. That's nobody's going to use that or it's not going to be read. Um, But the idea is that if we had some sort of basic understanding of, okay, this data that's associated with the person is theirs, they own it. Um, They can sell it if they want. They can keep it to themselves if they want. Um, but the problem is all of these platforms that we're talking about that use our data, their entire business models have been designed around monetizing that data. So one of the things that I'm suggesting is that instead of us giving it away as a default, that there would be some sort of financial transaction where we have a say in what we can charge for our data and what the data is worth. I'm all about Um, that. Right now... Right now, it's just we don't really have any control other than not to use these platforms, which in 2020 is pretty hard. Right. I mean, that's that's the whole I mean, at least in the you know, 
it used to be I could say no to something and you know I could still use the the app and if I say no to one thing then I can't use the app and again I just want to take the picture so <laughs> exactly and also these big tech companies they have they own so many other companies that even if you avoid somehow the big ones there's a very good chance that you're going to be using one of the ancillary companies they own and not be aware of it. Remember when Facebook got in trouble with Cambridge Analytica? Yeah. All these people flocked to Instagram. Instagram is owned by Facebook. Yeah, I know. They didn't realize it. It was, so, it was silly. It was, and, and I say it's silly. It's not silly. People are trying to, you know, be private. And you just aren't. You just can't. Which just gets back to me where, you know, it's a new definition of privacy, really. And yeah. uh, I don't I don't know that I mean we we're never going to be private anymore. Those days I think are gone. I realize you can be off the grid and you can live in, you know, in the middle of New Mexico and, you know, be pretend to be off the grid. But I talked to a guy a couple of years ago I talked to a guy who, you know, hey, was proud about being off the grid, but he said, you know, yeah, but I know I've got my I got my dish just so I can catch NASCAR on the weekends. I'm thinking, well, then you're not off the grid, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> you're just not. Yeah, no, unless you want to really go, like, live in a cave somewhere. Yeah. It's very difficult to have a sense of privacy. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in places like California where they're trying to enact these stricter privacy laws. Um, but the ironic thing is to make sure that – But so in California, if you want to say to a company, well, I want to see what data you have on me – you have to, in some cases, upload things like your driver's license so that they can verify that you are who you say you are. But it means you're giving up more right. data <laughs> to be able to access your data. So it seems like there's got to be another way. And I, I mean, uh, you're you know you're far more into it than I am. I don't I don't see that other way. I don't know what it is. I, I mean, I've I've thought about it and thought about it, and I certainly you know am not as smart as Alexis Wachowski, and I uh, <laughs> you know I don't see it. I was hoping that, uh, you know, that you'd have that for me. Alexis, give it to me. Tell me. The what's the way? What's the way? Problems. I want the answer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want the answer, too. And the thing is, this book, that'll be the next book, because this book is really just kind of identifying that it's a problem, because I think yeah. a lot of people aren't even aware of how big a problem it is. And and you definitely uh, uh, share how big a problem it is. There's no question about that. So what are you worried about? What are you worried about? What worries me is how much of the technology that is going to be used in the next 10 years will be in our physical environment that we don't even see. So, for instance, a lot of people have uh, video surveillance cameras like Ring. Yep. Um, and that you can see. It's a camera. Um, but we're moving into these kind of smart cities where there are mm -hmm. going to be sensors um, that are able to communicate data that kind of blend into the background. And they're already existing. They already exist in certain ways, but they're not collecting personal information. They collect things like uh, environmental temperature conditions and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but sensors will become smarter. They will collect more data. And they're not necessarily something that you're going to notice. So even when you keep your phone off or decide, I'm not going to go on Instagram today, it doesn't mean that there's no data being collected about you. Is Our your phone is your phone ever off? 
That's another good question. I, I mean, I'd like to think that there's still a way to turn it off, but maybe I'm being naive. Right. And the, look, and again, the only way, you know, sure, uh, I can decide not to have a phone. And I can decide, no problem, not to have a phone. But then I get, even in my in my old VW Bug that I'm driving, uh, you know, I have... Uh, you know, I have a GM that I have shut off, but uh, is it, you know, there's still other information data still can be run on it. It's just, uh, you know, you're, you're not away from it. And so, and that's exactly what you said, right? That information is in our face. And what's scary is it's not in our face and yet it's still there. Yeah. And there was a really interesting experiment done where someone had talked about in the book, converted her home into as much of a smart home as possible um, with internet enabled everything, including like the coffee maker and her toothbrush and all that. And the thing she said was it was very quickly invisible. It's very yeah. quickly. You just didn't notice it anymore. Yeah. And I think that's where we're heading. Well, I mean, that's, and, and that isn't even getting us into AI, right? I mean, that's not even getting us into having a, a robot bring me my soda. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, well, that that's a whole other world, and so I, you know, I'm I'm all for it. Uh, I'm all for Rosie bringing me my soda, but I kind of want to know it's Rosie and not someone that looks like a human that isn't a human. But I know that's yeah. a whole other. You know, you can use that for your third book, Alexa. No problem. That, yeah, that'll be. I had a whole collection out of this conversation. <laughs> this is great. Alexis Wachowski, the author of the Information Trade: uh, How Big Tech Conquers Countries, Challenges Our Rights, and Transforms Our World. Fascinating read. Um, well worth your time. Uh, I I enjoyed it, and uh, I enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much, Alexis. Uh, how can, Thank you. I mean, the book is available. They can get it anywhere. It's uh, it's a it's a world. So they can get it online. You can find it anywhere. You can find it on your phone. <laughs> find it online. And of course, anywhere you want. You, I mean, you want you people want. to use the Internet of Things to to get the book, the information trade. Uh, I mean, that's Although the trade off. That's. I'm old fashioned. I still like hardcovers, but you know, I'll uh, I, I do also read ebooks. So anywhere you want to get it, is, is it's available. Ebooks are tough for me. I really, I mean, I mean it. I I, I love uh, you know as much as I read, it's I, I'm it's unavoidable to me. But uh, I do like a real book in my hands. I do. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So Alexis Wazowski, thank you so much for talking to us today. I appreciate it, um, and we will look forward to. Uh, we will look forward to the success of this book and your next one. Uh, you know, well, you're doing nothing with your life. Just write another book tomorrow and be done with it. <laughs> Sounds good, right? Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Talk to you later. 